0: everybody, welcome to the Cubs Weekly podcast presented by Wintrust. Proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, an exclusive home of Cubs checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. I'm Andy Martinez, here joined by Tim Sevens, MLB.com reporter and Marquis Sports Network contributor. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, So it's been, there's a lot to, to, to dissect from what Jed spoke about last week and, and, and in his end of season press conference and kind of what went what went for the Cubs in, in twenty twenty three. And one of the interesting conversations I thought was the youthful impact and just how many guys debuted in twenty twenty three, whether it was someone like Jordan Wicks or Daniel Palency or PCA that could have an impact for the Cubs moving forward. Tim, what uh what were some of your overall thoughts on some of those young guys that 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 debuted for the Cubs and, and how it went in their first look in the major leagues?
1: Well, I think it's exciting for the organization and for fans because if you're looking ahead to next year, these guys who specifically we're talking about that debuted, you can already map out next year. Like, you could see roles and um, places for them to fit in and contribute, right? And we know, like, baseball is an interesting game and things can happen. And, yeah. you know, for young guys, everyone's developmental paths aren't linear, as we all yeah. like to say. <laughs> um, but I think with the guys that debuted, like, for one, they're all there's many highly regarded guys in this organization who are – top end prospects but two it's just we saw them and you could see going to next year uh ways they could fit in and we're talking about like Jordan Wicks is of the world Daniel Palencia Pete Crow Armstrong right obviously and there's there's other guys as well but uh when I look at guys such as them you look at the next year and I think there's some excitement about what they could do for the team in a full season
0: yeah and it's interesting because like as you mentioned like the 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 success or development is never linear and it's it's an interesting topic because I feel like sometimes fans get spoiled in that like you saw Chris Bryant, right, who come, came up and was just like good off the bat and was good the whole time and never had any success when like that's completely the outlier, I feel like. Like I feel like the trajectory path of most prospects is kind of what like an Ian Hap or a Kyle Schwarber or guys like that go through where it's like they might have some success early on, but there's going to be a lot of struggles. And I think PCA might be a really good example of that. I think Palencia in the bullpen was a really good example of that, right, where he comes up and that first outing, base is loaded, extra inning game. He gets out of it, comes to win that game. Like you can't get more high pressure and high leverage in that situation, and he escapes out of it. But then it wasn't like it was all roses and and, and an ace reliever after that. Like he really had his, his, his bright moments, but he really had his struggles. And that's just kind of how development is. And, and, and that's the tricky part for 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 an organization is how do you do that? And especially with the Cubs in 2023 where it's like they need to win so you can't have this long leeway of like, well, we'll let this guy struggle because that could cost you a win or two uh, throughout the season.
1: Yeah, and I think the Cubs were, especially from earlier in the season, but take out a couple of guys, not much is different there. But they were a team with veterans and and. A lot of playoff experience with a lot of these guys in championship pedigree, right? So, uh, I think in that sense, maybe it was tougher to break in, like, the Pete Crow Armstrong discussion. And we can get into, like, obviously, when he actually reached the majors, what that was like. But his name was someone mid-July, like, I feel like people were already, like, forecasting. Like, when could they call him up? When could he be yeah. an asset for the big league team? And you look at the outfield and who's out there, you know, to spare a day off here there, it's Ian Happ. All-Star in 2022, had another good year. Cody Bellinger played like his MVP self. um, And Seiya Suzuki, who for all the ups and downs, we know what they think of him and he finished strong, right? So uh, every situation is different. And I think when you look at how some of the guys who were debuted and how they fit in versus others, like it's really kind of maybe expectations should be low for young guys anyway, but there is more. I guess, opportunities for some based on what the team's needs are as well.
0: And I think the PCA one's an interesting one because, to your point, like especially when he was called up in September, things were going really well for the Cubs in terms of, like, all right, Ian Hap's doing well in left field. Say Suzuki was red hot in September and playing right, playing really good in right field. And Mike Talkman was the leadoff hitter playing well in center. Or Cody Bellinger, to your point, was playing in center as well. So, like, there was no clear fit. And the Cubs were pretty obvious. Like he's going to be in there as a defensive replacement. Maybe he'll get some some opportunities when when things match up. But it was I thought that was the kind of the best way to break, especially him in. Maybe not necessarily some other guys, but like I think for him to kind of try and exploit his his strengths um, to help the team. Right, Colorado big outfield, Arizona big outfield. We know how hyped up he was as a defensive prospect, and so to have him in those situations was kind of like a quote unquote soft landing that was I think the smart thing I think what really benefited him and Jed Hoyer mentioned this in his end of season presser was like he had so many struggles and he I believe he was over 13 um, and had one RBI was caught ceiling twice like he had a lot of a lot of downs a lot more downs than necessarily ups but those are learning experiences and I and, I, and yeah like if you're cussing, you probably wanted them to get you wanted them to get to the playoffs you want Pete Cromson to have success but like from a developmental perspective process you'd rather have those successes now than like if he has to be your opening day center fielder in april and he goes through a really rough month of april like what does that do for him like i i think secondary to the to what he kind of didn't provide like i think the development is is somewhat successful
1: yeah and i think it's interesting where he got like you said so he went over over 14 and seven strikeouts so he struck out legitimately half his at bats in 13 games i think if you called him up i don't know what I'm saying i'm not trying to say revisionist history like they should have called him there I'm just saying if the circumstances were different and he were brought up in like April or May you have more season to work through these struggles opposed to like a two-week playoff race so uh, in that sense like the timing of it probably played a part too where when Jed's talking about those learning moments like for a lot of those guys you talked about from the old core a lot of them are brought up early in the season so and I know some guys struggles came after they'd been up for a while but when you're called up earlier, it's just natural that you're going to have more time to work through those things. And of course, of a six month season, his were just, you know, the one look at uh PCA that we got was September and it was the last two weeks. So I think that kind of is an interesting part of it
0: too. And to, and to that point too, right? Like Matt Mervis was a guy who was called up early in the season. A lot was expected of him. Didn't really deliver when he was up here, but he's an interesting guy in the sense that like it was, that's to your point, what you want with the long runway, but it also kind of, summarize where the cubs were at in terms of like they needed wins it was right in the midst of their struggles in may where like they needed a spark so they called him up they needed some wins to try and get back from under 500 and when his struggles weren't turning around when he wasn't having that success it was like you have to go back to a a trey mancini you have to go to cody Bellinger at first base when he got healthy that's kind of the conundrum they were in this year and that's kind of the conundrum that they hope they're in years moving forward right where it's like yes you want to give this prospect some some leeway but it can't come at the expense of winning because that's ultimately the goal and and it, it's a tough balance that I don't think there's a right formula per se in terms of how to do it
1: yeah like you're talking about just how to integrate young guys yeah I, I agree I don't think there is either and there's different things where we've seen it here with the Steels and Thompson's and like integrating pitchers and and a lot of people have looked at how those guys were brought up as relievers and then moved into the rotation. And we see what Steele did. I don't even know if there's a perfect way for pitchers. Like, we've yeah. seen that work, but I don't know if that's the be all end all at all, honestly. Yeah. And I think if you look at someone in a year and a half, a year from now, however long, with Kate Horton, I'm trying to get to Kate Horton. Yeah. If you look at Kate Horton, that's a consensus top 20 pitching prospect, starting pitching prospect in baseball. Are you going to start him in the bullpen? Because you've seen that work here, I don't know if you yeah, will. I think right. if, you, if he's ready to come, they up. didn't do that
0: with Jordan Wicks.
1: They did not do that with Jordan Wicks, right? Another guy. And with, part like, of
0: that was necessity, obviously. I, I know, like they, they needed a starter. Like part of that was like they just needed a starter. But to your point about Kate Horton.
1: Yeah, well, no, but you're right with Wicks too. Where if you have a need and you're going to integrate a guy, like okay, he's a starter. Let's we have a time to if we're gonna, if we think he's ready, there's a time to bring him in, even if it is for a need and injuries. Like do it. I don't think Kate Horton is someone that they're going to bring up in the bullpen because, like we're saying, I don't think there's a perfect way to do it, integrating young guys. I don't think there's a a blueprint that you do every time the same way. So um, for a team that hopes to take a step next year and you have a lot of young guys here and we saw some this year and more coming next year, like I think it's exciting for them because there is a lot of different ways they could do it. And it's going to come down to, I think, needs, um, as we kind of saw first look of this year.
0: And I think the the big thing when it comes to, like, integrating the youth and developing, uh, it, it's it's something that Jed Hoyer mentioned and something that you see kind of across baseball. Like, you have to have that, that balancing act of veteran players that can kind of offset that, per se, right? This year you had that, whether it was Dansby Swanson or Ian Happ or Cody Bellinger or Nico Horner. Like, those were consistent at-bats in the lineup that, like, Yes, if a young player is struggling, or, or if two young players are struggling, you have that kind of to offset it. Or if a, a young guy is playing really well, then that that boosts up your lineup. As we saw, like when Christopher Morel was called up, the Dodgers kind of do it really well, right? Where it's like, yes, they they call up maybe like a Gavin Lux a couple years ago. I remember when he was a top prospect, but he struggled. But they had guys like Trey Turner. They had guys like Mookie Betts, Freddie Fre- like all those th- things that offset it. That's what you need because. We saw in 2022 where it's like, yes, they had these young players that were coming up, but there was no veteran or consistent pro, uh, uh, force in the lineup that could kind of offset a Christopher Morrell struggle or, or, or you, you know, these guys coming up that could kind of offset that. I think that's something that is – if the the Cubs organization are kind of in a better situation where, okay, like, yes, we, we have someone like – let's say like an Owen Casey or Kevin Alcantara coming up. Like, okay, you want to get him in the lineup. You want to get him at bats. He might struggle at first, but you have Ian Happ, who's going to have the consistent at-bat, who's going to have the consistent approach. You have Nico Horner, who's going to have that consistent approach. That That is where you offset, and I think that's what's key into integrating a player while trying to win at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think I'm probably going to sound like Captain Obvious here, but if, <laughs> if we're talking in this realm, like, if you want to look back in like, 2015 when Bryant was brought up, uh, Baez came up later in the year after he debuted the year before, Soler was up, Schwarber, Russell, like, the fact I think we all know, like, the fact that they won 97 games, such a young team, like, of course, that was very impressive, but when we're looking at it now, we're talking, to, you know, this team, if I want to compare it to that team, I think it's, I don't know how often you see that, I guess, right, like, yeah. the team like the 2015 Cubs, and I guess even 16, where they're kind of second-year guys and not even a full 162 um, games on all those guys' resumes, so, in that sense, like, that might be an outlier, um, but you know if there's opportunities and you get chances like they did almost 10 years ago to sure run with it and see what they can do and if it works out you can see what it can do but uh, that's not always the route that you have to take
0: and i think there's two guys who kind of fall into that that debuted this year and that's like wicks as we talked about i think if you would have said even three four months ago that jordan wicks would be a prime rotation candidate going into 2024 i don't think many people would have believed it and his final ERA number is 441 on the season. It's a little skewed because of the last outing. He had a 3.0 ERA before that outing in Milwaukee. He's an interesting guy where he kind of came up and he had really, really big struggles early on, right? First batter he faces, there's a home run, then there's a walk and a single, and it's just like, oh my gosh, this thing's going to go off the rails really, really quickly. And he retires 15 in a row after that point. It's like, that's the adversity you want a player to go through that's the maturity you want to see a pitcher have that he can he can overcome these things he can he can Im- fix things on the fly and, and and make adjustments he's an interesting guy that like that's what you hope from a you from a young player right where it's he comes in he knows what he can do he does it and he paints himself into a picture we saw it last year with morale right morale when he was called up it's kind of like they need a body he's on the 40 man call him up what does he do he's kind of now uh, an interesting we're going to get to talk to him but we're going to talk about him here in a second but like that's now a a piece in the in the in the in the future Miguel Amaya same thing this year right it's like what do you got in this guy last option year what can he do it makes it a little solidified in terms of what the catching position looks like it it, it, you you need those success stories to kind of help bring your organization up as a whole
1: I think Wicks is interesting because if I want to keep You know, putting the nail hammer to the nail on the 2015 Cubs (laughs) and feel nostalgic. Um, Wicks is kind of, I don't want to say that, I don't want to say they're similar, but Wicks was a college pitcher, right? So the fact that he came up like the guy had three years before he was drafted and then he got up to the majors quickly, but that's also not the most surprising, I guess, because he was someone with a lot of experience. It's not a a high school arm who is 18 or 19 and needs some seasoning, probably. And I know guys. Are getting caught up i feel like in this day and age maybe there's quicker timelines than you saw a while ago like 20 years ago but jordan wicks is someone that i think if in a perfect scenario when they drafted him this was probably it like it's a late, 20, yeah. right like late 2023 like he's someone who he pitched three years in the big 12 like he, he had experience in, in a good major conference and uh he got up and that's a testament to him though because he yeah you know like we're talking about all these paths like you never know what's going to happen and um, and an experience and, and, you know, like, you don't want injuries, but stuff like that. And, and he made it up and, and I, th- I remember Tommy out you, like talked to us, um, as a scrum in like August and I'm paraphrasing, but he just kind of talked about how he doesn't get unnerved. He, he yeah. just is very, very calm and collected out there. And I think that's, that's just kind of a summary of him and his path and his experience level. He's someone that's been around in major moments long enough and semi-pronouncement. Allegedly, but through the minor leagues and here he is now, and we're talking about next year as a rotation potential rotation option.
0: Another guy that I thought was interesting in the bullpen, we talked we touched on him a little bit, was Daniel palencia Like I, I, again, comes into the biggest moment. He's got this stuff to be uh, an interesting reliever for the Cubs in, in 2024 and beyond. I think a lot of it is kind of harnessing it all. Right, it's, it's kind of like this raw, unnatural or excuse me, natural talent that you just want to like caress and and mold into a pitcher he throws high 90s can touch 100 he's got a nice slider like he's got all the makings of like this guy could like if you if he if you can get him right it's like advert lighter merryweather, palencia that's a pretty good four back four at the end of the rotation i think for him it's just like the mental component like he can be someone that's very valuable to the back end of the bullpen
1: yeah and i think if you think about i mean if you think about him right like they moved him to the bullpen this summer, right? Like yeah, he was he was a starter. He was a starter and, and and you saw I think the state of the bullpen early in the season and we know David Ross figured that out pretty well and like he, he, he started pushing the right buttons for kind of those the struggles that it was going through and David Ross got on track which is a testament to him. But Palencia early on, I think his name would come up and you know, people were thinking like maybe he could be an option if they wanna dip into the the system and, and see what some guys can do because of the tools, right? Like, yeah. like let's just, I'll just pull this up so I don't get it wrong. Uh, his fastball velocity averaged 98.4 miles an hour of the bullpen, that's 97th percentile. That's pretty good. Uh, whiff rate, 30.9, that's also, you know, high up there among guys too. So I think you look at that and, and I wonder, I think they have a lot of starting pitching options and he has that background, but you also, we saw it here, we saw the flashes of it and, and maybe more than flashes at times where you see what it could do out of the bullpen, and as you're saying, you look to next year and it gets really interesting if more experience you get in and, and just learning how to harness that and, and you know, attacking and, and all those things that go into being a dominant reliever, the stuff's there. It's just a matter of harnessing it.
0: I think it's and to your point, like we can talk about the development for a PCA, right? How beneficial September was and having those struggles. Like to me having the what would be like four months of, of ups and downs in the major leagues for Palency is really, really valuable in the sense that he learned what it's like to be a reliever at the major league level. He learned how, Hey, you might have to pitch on back to backs when your stuff's not the best. So how do you, how do you combat that? How do you do that? I think that's really valuable for him and, and can help him be a, a, a key cog in, in, in the bullpen. I think that's what you kind of hope for. But the other thing too, with bullpens is we saw how volatile they can be. We always see how volatile they can be. You know, who would have thought at this time last year, that Keegan Thompson, and Brandon Hughes would have provided, provided almost nothing to the Cubs bullpen in 2023. Like, you have these hopes, and, and I think Palencia can be the kind of guy that can be a good good back-end-of-the-rotation pieces. but you need multiples of that. You need someone like Luke Little, who also debuted, to, to step up. I think that's kind of what didn't happen for the Cubs in, in 2023 in terms of their bullpen, and and you hope that Palencia's learning experiences in 2023 can help him in 2024.
1: Well, I think what you just said is almost – I think that's what makes him coming up this year and, and having the ups and downs and just being in the majors for as long as he was – so valuable because like you're saying, like Keegan Thompson, Brandon Hughes in 2022, we saw what they did. We saw going to 2023, you forecast that out. You expect them to be late inning uh, key pieces. You never know what's going to happen, right? So the fact that you have, there's probably, you had Palencia in the system, he came up. You're going to have other guys that are going to be knocking on the door. And we saw like Luke Little was someone too, who got a a taste in September, right? So I think Palencia getting up and, and getting a half season the way he did is so valuable because more guys I guess that you can get taste of the majors the better because it you use the word volatile like you don't know what's gonna happen the bullpen ever injuries or or regression or just how it works right so the fact that he got up as long as he did that's just another option now and you saw at times what it could be at its best um and then as you you say those two guys Thompson Hughes like there's obviously still more in the tank there it's just one years and go their way but now you have three potential names that have been in the majors and and experience the bullpen, and you look ahead and it's it's really interesting if you can get those three guys rolling at their best.
0: So we talked about some of the guys that debuted, we touched on Christopher Merle. I think he's an interesting guy for 2024 and beyond. Jed Hoyer mentioned in his end of season presser how he was a real, uh, he had some real pop in that lineup and he, he was a real weapon in there that you knew he could go deep. You know, you knew he could be, could could just change the game in an instant with one swing of the bat. That's just the power that he had, the, the skill that he had. The biggest question with Morrell is where does he fit defensively? Where does he kind of fit in on this team? We saw him as the primary DH. We saw his struggles early on with adjusting to the DH role and not playing. We've seen his struggles defensively. So I guess Tim, what is where does Christopher Morrell fit defensively and how do the Cubs try and, and fix that or fit that into their puzzle for twenty twenty four?
1: I wish I was good at math, cause I would just calculate his home run rate. It, it was pretty good, guys. Uh, he, you know, he came up. He had 26 home runs after getting caught up in May. Uh, in
0: 101 games. 26
1: and yeah. 388 at bats. If you're at home, someone can go calculate that. If you're very good at math, I'm just not. So anyway, I think my point in all that is, you figure out a way to fit that guy in. I would hope, and I think they would hope that, you know, this off season, they in their end and exit meetings, they talk with him and. If they're looking ahead obviously they don't know fully what moves they can what who's gonna what moves they're gonna make exactly but i think at least you have an idea you give him an idea and like here's what we think as of now how you could fit in the puzzle um and he goes into with the winner with a clear kind of plan and, and what to prepare for i also do think when you have 26 home runs in 107 games and you have a designated hitter option like you figure out a way to get him in the lineup, and, and we're talking about development, right? That was a conversation, what, in June about the adjustment that it takes to be a designated hitter for someone who, especially him, who's so full energy and yeah. kind of thrives off that. And and a lot of guys deal with that, you know, the, the DH aspect and not being the field and how do you stay ready and, and kind of locked in. He got a good amount of reps in that sense this year. So if you know, you know going to next year he's done that and you have a DH option, he at least fits in there. Third base is open. Uh, well, excuse me. Like third base is an area if you look at it. If they were going, I, to,
0: I think it's fair to say it's open.
1: You, yeah, I mean, there was they, they had a fair amount of guys that played it this year. And if you're looking at, we talk about the outfield and the corners are locked in, and we know the middle infield's locked in. You start looking at different spots, and if they want to go make additions, like third base is potentially one. But I know they've there's been times there with him that it's you know been some you know trials and tribulations there, yeah. but if like I'm saying you go into the winter and it's hey like we think you could fit in there but we need you to whatever they think he needs to do to be a everyday consistent guy there go into the winter and work on that.
0: So Kyle our, our social guy producer he points out 6.7% of his at-bats ended in a home run. Thank you Kyle. So that's um that's pretty good. That's a pretty good ratio. Yeah. Um but going back on uh, on where he fits positionally, it's I think the the Cubs have a little bit of proof of concept in terms of Nick Magical. Remember in in uh, like around it was around Cubs Con earlier this year in 2023. Jed horror mentions he's going to play third base, and I think everyone's consensus was like, how can he play third base? Like what? Like uh, he's never, never played. played yeah. He's never played it at the major at the professional level. How can he go to third base? And he was the fifth best uh, third baseman by outs above average in baseball. Like he was above guys like Nolan Arenado. Like it was it was a really impressive display. I think that's kind of what you do with Morale to your point. Like hey, I'm not saying like third base per se, but if you say hey. We want you to focus on this position you go out and you do the same plan that you kind of did with uh, nick madrigal and you hope that that turns into to something where he fits in defensively and maybe if it isn't perfect maybe you still do have a platoon option with someone like madrigal at third base or masturboni at third base or somewhere else uh, in, in the position and you can still use them as a dh i think that benefits your team overall gives you a little bit more roster flexibility and it keeps that bat in the lineup because it is it is a game changer. Like, think about the the White Sox game where he comes up and it's like, you like you knew something was gonna happen, and he hits a walk off homer. And like, there's not many people on the roster that can kind of change the game like that that he can. And you want to find a way to keep that bat in the lineup, and and you have to find a position for him. And I think that this offseason is crucial for him. Maybe he goes plays in the winter league and and, and refines a, a position. Like I I think it's one of the big storylines this year is. Finding Christopher Morrell a, a position in the offseason.
1: Well, you the word game changer. Uh, game changer. Help, help me out here. Jed talked about that at his end of season press conference, right? right. Like how Morrell specifically. That swing of the bat, yeah. Right. And, and how many guys could you say about that? Like, And that's not a slight at anyone else, so much yeah. as a compliment to him and, and what he can do at the plate. Right. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, the, the kind of irony maybe is not the word, but we've seen him play good amount at second base in the majors and i think he's looked you know solid there at yeah. least but we know that's just not really an option so it's kind of like we're talking about development and you know you talk about nick madrigal nick madrigal was everyone in everyone's mind a second baseman but he proved that you know you can you can do it so um maybe morel's best position is second base but his best position from this team and what they need out of him maybe it's somewhere else
0: so. yeah, yeah and, and we've seen him pre-game take reps at in the outfield and third base and at first base which is also another position that like I'm not saying he's going to be the opening day first baseman but like there's 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 options for him and where he could fit in it's it's one of the storylines to follow in in, in the offseason in terms of what he does.
1: He also played a 1000 innings at third base in the minor leagues which Yeah, is more, double he, he than played more
0: else. yep yep yep. So this is not it's not split, like third base is a new position like it was for Magical.
1: With respect to Magical because what he did was very impressive but it's it is a different situation.
0: Yeah. Um last guy we want to talk about before we, we go on a commercial break is Julian Merriweather. Um, I think that was uh, a, a surprise in, in 2023. It was a waiver claim from Toronto. It's like, what are you getting out of this guy? 98 strikeouts, the most since Carlos Marmol uh, by a reliever. He, uh, Where does he fit in for you in the, the Cubs bullpen and just how valuable can he be for this team?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting because I don't even think it fell under when they – added him as a waiver claim. That didn't really fall under what we've seen them do in the past and building a bullpen. I thought that was, if I look back in that moment, that was an entirely different thing. That wasn't a low-cost signing. That was just depth it looked like at the yeah. time, and he clearly proved otherwise. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you, you, you've you seen, you saw this year um, that he, if you need him in the seventh and eighth, and that's what he was used in, so it's not even, that's not even giving him credit. He can do it. I do think if I look at the the off season, I would think they, you know, they need to add bullpen help, you know, depth at least, right? Yep. So, I don't know if, I don't know if it, you have a closer and you want to work backwards, right? But right. if you, the more options you have after working backwards, I think the better. So, based on what they do this winter, whether he's someone that is consistently the eighth or the seventh or the sixth or I think even. Late in the season, we saw him in the fifth when they were in crunch time and there was a key spot and they were in must-win games. They brought him in early. And that's kind of, I feel like, what you saw even in 2022 with David Ross. Like, it's all about pockets. And yep. I'm not assi- – I, would, I wouldn't I would assign anyone to a role outside of, you know, your ninth inning. If you have a good enough bullpen, you can kind of play matchups and, and alternate guys. And that's that's what makes a good bullpen to me in this in this modern age. So, I think he fits in. It's just – don't you don't need to assign them in necessary in an inning.
0: I think um, the Dodgers in Game Two of the NLDS, right? The they struggled. They were they they needed it was a must-win game. They bring in Bruce Star all, one of their best relievers in the second inning. I think it was or was it third? Like it was really really early on in the game, oh, yeah. um, and it's just like that's how versatile he is, right? Like you could use him in the seventh. You could use him in the eighth, you could use him in the second if need be. Like Meriwether kind of fits into that that role where it's like. He's, he can almost be like a quote-unquote fire extinguisher, right? Like you can use him in, in different situations, and you know he has the, the the strikeout stuff where he can get it out. And I, I, to your point, I think that's something that is so valuable to the bullpen where it's like, yes, you have a, a potentially a closer in Adward Alza, like potentially you have a, a lefty specialist in Mark Leiter Jr., or if you sign a lefty reliever, you have that too. Like I think having Meriwether in that very versatile role where you can kind of especially later on in the season and then the playoffs, you could use them in any role. I think that's super, super highly valuable for for bullpen.
1: I just think it's just, it's as simple as this. The more options you have, yeah. most reliable options we, you have is the better.
0: We saw that late in the year where David Ross ran out of options and that was kind of the downfall of the bullpen.
1: Yeah, I mean, injuries and, and guys maybe needing, you know, after a long season, extra days and stuff. Yeah, for sure, so... You know, and this is this is not something that we're talking about that would be exclusive to the, uh, the Cubs. I think
0: that's just in baseball. Like yeah. everyone needs, there's never enough pitching, right? Like yeah, everyone always says that if you have enough pitching, you don't have enough pitching. Like you you, you, you can never have enough pitching. It's, it's cliche, and every team feels that way, whether you're hoisting the World Series trophy at the end of the year or whether you finish last in in, in the standings.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know. It's it's good. I. I I'm a bullpen nerd, so I honestly can't wait to see how they build this because you've seen examples, and really even across town, if we want to talk about like building a bullpen and buying a bullpen, that doesn't necessarily always work either. So I think that doesn't mean you should shy away from that. If there's someone out there that on a multi-year deal you think makes sense, great. Um, The Cubs have also shown in the past like guys that are more low-key additions in the bullpen year after year. they, They did well at that, and I think maybe this year that wasn't uh, it didn't go as p- perfect to plan as usual. So if they can find a blend of that, I think that would be something that would be beneficial. I guess.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting conversation. It's going to see it. it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the NL Central and some of the playoffs that that's going on. So stick tuned on the on the Cubs Weekly podcast. We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago's sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank, too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to the Cubs Weekly Podcast, Tim Stevens, Andy Martinez. Tim, we're gonna get into some playoff talk. Uh, saw the Brewers bounce in the NL in Wild Card, home field advantage. Lost both games to the to the Diamondbacks and were swept. It's been a pretty bad run for the NL Central. Really, since 2016, there hasn't been a team from the Central that there's only been two teams that have made it to the to the NLCS since 2017. Uh, it was the the Cardinals. And the Brewers. So, so in 20, sorry, oh, okay, since sorry. after twenty seventeen, okay. excuse me, sorry, sorry. It's been a it's been a litany of bad performances, bad luck, whatever you want to call it for the NL Central in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Um I mean Milwaukee, the Milwaukee came one game away like we're saying in eighteen. Uh, the Brewers have gone one and nine in their last ten and they've scored seven in the teams. playoffs. Yes, one and nine in the last ten playoff games and that includes twenty twenty. Um, obviously scored 10 runs, 17 total runs there in 10 games. So, yeah, um, I think there's different aspects of it, though. If I want to make a counter argument to... Sure, sure. Please do. Please, please. Well, 2020, I'll just start there. We know that was a strange year, okay? Uh, But if I go to 2021 and you're talking about the Cardinals representing uh, the, the division, you know, as a team from the Central in the playoffs, I look back on that. They won 17 games in September, and that probably took... That probably took a lot of energy. Yep. So you get to the playoffs, and um if I'm not mistaken, they lost that game to the Dodgers late.
0: Yeah, it was like a Chris Taylor home run in like the ninth, eighth or ninth inning. Yes. Yeah, so it was a walk-off, yeah, yeah. So they
1: got walked off. So they, they won 17 games, they put all the energy in, and then, then they got walked off. So I don't know. I mean, it has been weird for sure, yeah. but you also have had teams, you know, the Dodgers, we know the Dodgers have been on the run they've been on maybe not some postseason success. Like, last year, the Phillies, like, that was kind of an incredible run. Yeah. A wild-card team making it to the World Series. But it, I guess, like, you're right. It has been it has been odd uh, since the Cubs really that golden era. And then even in 18, the Cubs won 95 games. They got lost in a 13-inning wild-card game, and the Brewers almost get to the World Series. But, yeah, since then, I mean, this is just the playoffs, I feel like, in a nutshell, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's,
0: there's, there's definitely volatility in the playoffs. Like, you can't predict what what's going to happen in the playoffs. You can kind of have some measure of planning or how things might go in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it's anything can happen. Pitcher can get hot, hitter can get hot, offense can go cold. Since 2018, the NL Central in playoff games is 11 and 28, and if you go year by year, it gets progressively worse. Five and 23 since 19, two and 16 since 20. Like it's been a it's been a bad run for the NL Central. It's Yeah, I don't know what to to make of it. Like, is it does that mean the NL Central is significantly worse than the other divisions? I don't think that's the case, but I think there's definitely some, some just not showing up in October for the NL Central.
1: There's been weird, weird stuff too. Like I think of nineteen, the Brewers were back then. There was five seeds per league. They were the fifth seed. They were in the wild card. They lost
0: on a Trent Grisham. The ball goes under his glove in the wild card. The nationals go on to the world series right and win it
1: so so okay you can say the brewers were bounced by the team that went to the world series but they also that was a bad mistake that they 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 have josh Hader on the mound yep and it's an out it should be an out and they don't get it and then we're talking about the playoffs and bounces go they don't go your way like you can see what happens but in the same year the cardinals made it to the nlcs and were swept so yeah i don't know man it's it's weird i mean it's it is weird um i i I don't know what to make of it, and you know, like there has been times where like, even the Brewers in 2021 were the second seed and they lost in the DS. So, yeah, I don't know.
0: Was, who knows? Maybe <laughs> in the next five years, the Central will be the dominant division. You don't like you. You don't know it to that point. Like it's it's kind of it's very volatile or unpredictable in terms of the playoffs. The playoff format though that started last year has brought up some interesting conversations, and I'm curious. Um, there's a lot of discussion on whether or not. The format is actually hindrance to teams that get the bye. We saw that teams like Baltimore and the Dodgers lost the first two games at home, are facing elimination, could be bounced three games into the playoffs after being two of the best teams in baseball. Houston and Atlanta split at home. Like, what do you think, Tim? You you've kind of covered a litany of teams throughout the year. What does this does this format hurt the 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 hires, the teams that perform better in the regular season? Does it does it help the lower seeds? What, what do you think?
1: I feel like you could cherry-pick examples for both <laughs> sides. like, And I think that's kind of what's going on here. For for one, this is only the second year of this format. So to say that it's a detriment to the teams that get it by, I, I'm not ready to say that yet just because there's not enough data to support it necessarily. Sure. I will say it is a long layoff, and I don't know how you could change that with the current setup. Like Maybe you could back it up a day, but... I also would think as a team that, you know, the Braves, the Braves won over 100 games, like maybe you think, well, they're their team that won over 100 games, but obviously if you're off for five days, that's, you know, you are going to yeah. come out and have to kind of get back on track. I would say too, though, before this format, I think back to 2015, the Cardinals won 100 games and they lost in the division series to the Cubs who won 97 granted, but they were the top seed. And I think you can just take examples from, from sure. them, any format this is not the first time and none of these teams have even been eliminated yet but people are already talking as if they are and it's like if if a top seed does not win its first series that is not unforeseen a and that's kind of the beauty of the baseball playoffs i know it's i know it's different because compared to like the nba i don't think you see many one eight eight seed upsets right baseball is a six-month season they play 162 games so i get why there's could be some disappointment and, and and, you know, the discourse around it right now, but it's also like we just talked about the Nationals were a wild card team that made the World Series yep. four years ago under the old format. So I don't know if it's a disadvantage, but even if it is, this isn't necessarily uncharted waters with top seeds not making it. The Cubs, the Cubs won 97 games in 08 and were swept in the division series by the Dodgers.
0: Right. And, and it's uh, like I go back to last year, the ALCS is made up of the two teams who got the buy, okay. the Astros and the Yankees the, the Yankee the Astros go on and win the World Series. Like did the did the layoff hurt them? Clearly not. Like it is a very interesting conversation. I think to me that the biggest thing about this is it kind of points to the root like the big problems that some of these teams had going into the playoffs. We saw the injuries to the Braves starting rotation. We see what's happening where where there's there there's the Philadelphia Phillies are jumping on them quickly on their starters and, and getting building up early leads. The Dodgers were piecing together a rotation for almost the whole season Clayton Kershaw has a bad outing and now you're like that was your only reliable starter really and now you're like what's going to happen the rest of the way we're kind of seeing what happens Baltimore right what was the big thing that they needed at the trade deadline some starting pitching they went on got Jack Flaherty who I don't believe is I don't know if he's start he, he's not start he's in the bullpen right so like it's some of these problems that you saw you foresaw coming and now they're here and they weren't addressed and I think that's kind of more than necessarily oh they had five days off like I think that's the bigger crux of, of the issue
1: well, I might need your help here but let's just run through those I, I think you make a good point let's run through the series really quick so Atlanta Atlanta went down 1-0 and there was a lot of outcry about this format right away yep. and then what do we know about Atlanta from seeing them uh, from a Cubs lens that is a powerful lineup with you no let up you
0: need all 27 outs
1: they were getting what no hit into the sixth inning yeah and, and then they win five to four um
0: two outs in the eighth they, they get they get a two-run homer
1: right and granted like there was a I mean credit to Michael Michael Harris obviously but that play at the end they that, that was helpful with Bryce Harper sure, sure, sure. running um but that's tied now the Dodgers I think you're right that's a great point about the rotation and I would say this I, I covered the the Brewers Diamondbacks series for MLB.com The Diamondbacks are a good team. Yes, (laughs) The Diamondbacks were before a real big slump as a team in in, uh, August. I think they were up there as a team that... They were first place in June. Right, and maybe by August you're not thinking of them as a division contender, but it got close down the stretch with uh, them even being a potential playoff team from that struggle. So that's not some team that just... They did kind of... I don't think they, they played their best down the stretch to get in, but they weren't a team all year that was just kind of fortuitous to make it in the rangers against the orioles the rangers were a dominant team for so much this season and and then things started going the other way for them but i don't think the rangers if you thought i mean you could have said two months ago the rangers were up there for a chance at a top seed if not you know the division um and then the astros the astros all year i don't think this is the best version of the astros that we've seen compared to recent years so them being kind of in a, a tight series as well like this is, uh, I think, an interesting year, and and I'm not ready to blame the format. When you talk about all these different examples, just as people can cherry pick the format, we can easily just back it up with the opposite.
0: Yeah. All right, Tim. I'm going to put you on the spot before we wrap up. How do you see the playoffs playing out? Give us give us a World Series prediction. Oh,
1: I'm so bad at predictions. Um, hmm. Well, so we
0: know that whatever you predict won't come true now.
1: Oh, that's even more pressure. <laughs> um, hmm. I think. I mean, I just, I just kind of. You know, was I had a lot of hype for Texas there. I think Texas looks really good right now. Yeah. They beat the Rays. The Rays, you know, the Rays were a 99-win team, even though they had a, pretty much a lot of injury issues themselves and the offense wasn't doing much. But I think the Rangers look good. I'll, I'll go on a limb and say Rangers. I still think Atlanta. I, I, I don't know how you could pick against Atlanta yet, especially after what they showed. Like, even when they're not at their best, they can, they can come back and pull out a victory. So... I, I like those two, but again, like if I'm like I said, I hate predictions, so I'm gonna hedge it. I think I think any of these teams right now, you could make a case for them at least getting to the LCS. And uh, like the Twins, the Twins were a team all year. We talked about like the AL Central. The Twins were a team that I think the Twins are playing some of their best baseball right now. Honestly. Yeah, no, they
0: are. I mean, I don't think everyone gave them a shot against Houston or even in the wild card. Um, to your point, then I'm going to predict that all six teams could go to the or all uh, eight teams can go to the World Series and anyone could win. I'm going to go out. I'm going to go. I'm going to be more assertive than you. I'm going to say the Diamondbacks are going to do the un- unthinkable. They're going to they're going to go to the World Series, and I think they're going to play the Astros. But I think the Astros. I think the Astros are going to take it.
1: I'm glad one of us has some nerve because I'm just a coward. Oh, and I, have, I, won- I, <laughs> I have I have
0: no belief that this is entirely what's going to happen, but that's just what I'm going to go out on a limb with. Let's have some fun with it.
1: A right, Air- hey. Arizona, I like Arizona. It's not a bad one.
0: I like yeah. That. Well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a fun fun podcast. Make sure you tune in all offseason. season We'll have a weekly podcast, hence the name, Cubs Weekly Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. That'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Tim, I'm Andy. Thanks for tuning in.